If you've got your Bible, uh, do turn with me. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to be reading from verses 21. And then we're going to be going into uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So Galatians 4, 21 to uh, 5, 1. Uh, it should come up on the screen as well as I read it. But uh, Galatians 4, 21 to 5, verse 1. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically or metaphorically. These women are two covenants, two agreements with God. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labour, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as in that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted the one who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. <coughs> it's great to be uh, back preaching at Freedom Church um, uh, for those of you who don't know, I've been away for a little while and on paternity leave. Um, we, are, uh, we are getting used to having a new member of the family and we are uh, quite, um, how do I put it, we are, we, are, we are motivated by love and we are uh, suffering lack of sleep. <laughs> um, he is very, <coughs> little baby Hudson is, is not shy to make himself known or to voice his complaints. And so we've been, um, we've, uh, we've been adjusting, let's say, to, to the new life with, with baby Hudson. Um, I was once, um, when I lived in, in Bradford, there are a number of times when I was uh, preaching at the Christian Union at the university there. Um, I was once invited to go and speak during the uh, height of exam season when all the deadlines come in and, and to lots of very tired students and I was invited to come and preach on rest um, in scripture, the rest that we have in God and the Holy Spirit must have been really working in power that day because as I began to preach I could see around the room people falling asleep um, but so far I've never fallen asleep during my own sermon um, if it's going to happen it will probably be today <laughs> um, but I'm going to try my best and we will get through this. But I, I really believe that there's something in the, that this passage that is for us as a church, um, that speaks into who we are as a church, but also um, what it means to be a Christian. Now, I, I love the book of Galatians. It's, it's one of my favourite letters in the New Testament. 
Um, if, if you're allowed to have a favourite, this is one of my favourites. Um, the reason for that is because I think it's one of the most uh, emotive and personal uh, parts of the Bible. Uh, you see, this is Paul writing to a group of churches. So we've seen, if you read Acts, you see Paul go, go to Galatia, which is this region in um, uh, central Turkey. He goes there and he's preaching the gospel to Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, foreigners. He's preaching the gospel there and he sees great revival in these Galatian cities, these different towns and villages in this region, Galatia. And we, re- we can read about that in Acts and it's amazing things happen there and, and wonderful stories of people becoming Christians and meeting with the, the love and the grace of Jesus. But what happens is, as Paul leaves Galatia to go and plant other churches, to go and preach the gospel elsewhere, these poor new Christians who are very susceptible to teachers and teaching coming in from all over the place find themselves under attack from false teachers from false teaching. People have come in and they've started to preach a gospel that doesn't fit the gospel that Paul has preached. There is no gospel at all. They come and they start saying, it's great that you've received Jesus. It's great that you've received Jesus. But actually, you know, you you also have to start doing all the things that were given to us in Moses' law. So you've got to be circumcised. You've got to observe these feast days. You've got, to, uh, you've got to dress this way. You've got to eat this way. You've got to obey these rules in the calendar. And so these, these, these new believers who have received and stepped into the life and the freedom of, of Jesus, who said, believe and be baptized and now you're part of my family, are suddenly being burdened by rules and religion that is not fitting with the gospel that Paul has preached to them. These guys, these false teachers, <coughs> sometimes people have referred to them as the Judaizers, people coming in and trying to make, right, now, you've, now that you've become Christian, you've also got to become a, a Jew and you've got to obey these Jewish practices. But, and what, and what it raises, is it raises two key questions for the Galatians. And that's what Paul is addressing throughout the letter. He's fighting for their faith. These two questions are, what does it mean to be part of the people of God? Who are the people of God? How do I get into the family of God? How is it that I get to inherit the promises that, are, that God gives to his people? And secondly, how am I right before God? How, do, how am I justified? How is it that, that I'm made righteous See, when you read scripture, we realise that the, the big problem facing mankind isn't um, war or famine or sickness. It's sin. And actually, sin is the thing that is underneath all of those things and behind all of those things. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This perfect relationship that we were called to be part of with him, in his promises, in his love, We have spoiled because we have turned away from him. We've rejected him. And and so that is is the thing. So as we separate separate ourselves from the life-giving God, these things, sickness, famine, all of them flood in. And we see this again and again through scripture. The, the, The sick effects of sin. 
And so the question is, how do I get back into favour with God and what does it mean to be part of the people of God? Because these Judaizers, these false teachers, their answer to that question is, well, to be part of the people of God, you've got to be, you've got to be a child of Abraham. You've got to be descended from this way. And to be justified, to be right with God, you've got to obey these rules, keep these commands. You've got to do these things. If you're going to be right before God, it's great that Jesus has died for you and has invited you in, but now you've got to, you've got to obey these commands, otherwise you're not going to be in for very long. And, and so these guys, they've come and, and, and the, these new Christians have found themselves torn. They, they start to walk down this route of, we call it legalism, trying to obey rules that are going to make them right with God. And the thing is, our heart bias is to believe that way. You know, when you first become a Christian, you're amazed by the gospel. Absolutely amazed by the gospel. Uh, many of us will have had that experience. We see, wow, is God amazing? He loves me. He invites me in. He forgives me of my sin. But I tell you, it wouldn't take much for me to make you feel guilty about how little you give or how little you pray or how little you read your Bible or how selfish you are. It wouldn't take much. And the reason that that's true is because our heart bias is to think that we've got to earn something for ourselves, that we've got to earn the love and favour of God for ourselves. Most world religions are built that way. You, know, you do this and you earn, you twist the arm of heaven and you earn favour with God. You do more good than you do bad and you can get in, into favour, into heaven. Christianity is not that. You have done nothing and you can do nothing to earn your place in God's family or your uh, or righteousness in the sight of God. And so Paul <coughs> comes as these guys are, are, are facing this battle, are living in this battle, and he comes and he confronts them. He wants to strengthen them in their faith, remind them of the gospel that they first believed, and he wants to challenge them and correct them where they've given way to this false teaching. So he makes this case. And he, makes, he begins to make this case through Galatians. So Galatians starts with, with Paul telling something of his own story. So he wants to give, he gives a bit of a historical telling of the story of the gospel. He says, the gospel that I preached to you, the gospel that I preached to you, I didn't get make up for myself. I received it from God. He says, what I've given you isn't from me. It's not from any man. It's something that God has revealed to me. And so he tell, tells them about his story, how he became a Christian, how God called him to preach the gospel that he told them. And then he talks about how this gospel, he said, and the gospel that I preached has been authenticated. It's, it's the real deal. It's received the seal of approval. I went to Jerusalem, he says. I went to Jerusalem and I met with the apostles and they agreed that my gospel, my ministry, was in keeping with the call of God on them and on the church. It's the real deal. And so he's, he's arguing, firstly, historically, he's saying, this, what, I, what I've given you is real, it's authentic. Whereas those guys who are teaching this other gospel, which is no gospel at all, by the way, it's not the real deal. It doesn't bear the same marks of authenticity. It's a, it's a knockoff gospel, a fake gospel. And then after talking about his own story and how it's been authenticated, the gospel's been authenticated, he then starts to make 
a case for his gospel from scripture. And so one of the things that these <coughs> false teachers is doing, uh, say they're, they're putting a lot of stock on the law of Moses. You've got to obey these laws in order to be saved, in order to be right before God. And they're putting a lot of stock on being children of Abraham. And so Paul wants to say, look, those things aren't unimportant. Those, those parts of scripture, if you read through the Old Testament, they are not unimportant. But I want you to understand what they mean. And I want you to understand what they are. So that's why we come in uh, this morning when he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, you who've, who have take, been taken in by this false teaching that, that says you need to obey all of these commands in order to be right before God, haven't you read the commands that, that, they're, that they're pointing you towards? Haven't you read the stories that are in these, the Old Testament that, that explain what it's for? And that, because Paul says when he's, when he's writing to Timothy, he says, the law is not wrong. The Old Testament isn't wrong. It's not, it's not that we disregard it. He says, no, the, the, the law is, is, is good so long as it's used, he says, lawfully. I, as long as it's used according to what it is. As long as, it, as long as you don't misuse it, it is good. And so he's saying, if you've read the law, you should know it. And so then he points to this, this example from the Old Testament. He points to Abraham. And he says, he said previously, Abraham, we see in scripture, was not justified. He wasn't made right before God because he was a uh, because he, he obeyed loads of laws. No, those laws came later. No, he was made right before God because he believed. Because he believed in him. Because he accepted what God was saying. Scripture says, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. How, how are you right before God, Abraham? I, I believed him. I heard him and I took him at his word. And Paul is saying, that is where you're going to get your righteousness from. You're going to get your righteousness not from achieving something for yourself, not by being the model Christian, but by believing God, by taking him at his word. He says, that, so therefore Paul is saying that it is those of faith, those who believe in God, who are the true children of Abraham. These guys coming in, they're making a big thing of their lineage. I can trace my, my family tree right back to Abraham, and so therefore I'm part of the family of God. And Paul's saying, no, you're part of the family of God if you, if you are, uh, you know, my son, my newborn son, uh, the midwives, as I was first holding him, all kept saying, he looks like you. And as people have come and uh, met met him, they as they hold him, they say, oh, he looks like Jen, or oh, he looks like you. The thing is, when you're a child of someone, you resemble them. And Paul is saying, if you're a ch true child of Abraham, you're going to look like him in the way you operate in faith. You're going to look like Abraham because you believe him. He says, if you don't believe God, you're not a child of Abraham. You don't belong to the family. So national identity, or holding certain religion, uh, religious rules, practices, it doesn't qualify you as a child of Abraham or as justified before God. So Paul can say in Romans 9, actually, not all Israel is Israel. 
there are people who are descended from Abraham physically who aren't descended by him according to the Spirit, who don't belong to that family because of what uh, God is doing in them. <coughs> that is, they are those who, not all who are descended from Israel, that is the na- national religious identity, belong to Israel, the, the true people of God who get to inherit the promises. So what this means then, Paul is saying, is that you don't have to be a Jew, <coughs> you don't have to obey the commands uh, there in, in the Old Testament in order to work out righteousness. You don't have to be physical children of Abraham to inherit the promises of God. No, it includes everybody. This is good news. It includes everybody. Now, I know, just a, a note aside here, I know that not many of us are receiving pressure to become Jews or to obey Jewish festival laws. But I tell you, this attack that the Galatian church is under here is one that is, will be familiar to all of us. It is so easy, so easy, to begin to believe that I need to do something in order to earn my place here. Or to, to feel uneasy in the people of God because you think, I don't deserve to be here. Oh, if, if you knew what I had done, if you knew how far I'd fallen, you wouldn't let me in. I think that's the same attack. That's the same attack because you're beginning to believe that it's on you to earn your place. And it's not. God's saying it's not. You cannot earn your place. It's all about believing in God. And so the amazing thing is, it is Jesus, Paul says, who is the fulfilment of all the promises that were given to Abraham. Jesus is the offspring. It's not about offspring, plural, Paul says. It's offspring, singular. It is Jesus who fulfills all the promises that were given to Abraham. And by believing in him, we share his status as sons. That's the amazing truth of the New Testament. Is we share in Jesus' status as children of God if we believe in him. And so you have that wonderful passage that will be familiar to many of us at the end of Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. And so there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. Those things that might have disqualified you from inheriting promise before, being a, a, a Gentile, being a slave, being a woman... Those things now no longer count because you are a son of God through Christ. Not just children of Abraham, you are, but you are children of God through Christ. And so Paul is saying, pleading with the Galatians, do not give up the freedom that you've been given in exchange for slavery that is under legalism. So what Paul is doing here in the passage that we've just read is he's unpacking that argument again. He's unpacking what that means. And he draws on a story that that the the story of Abraham that these Judaizers, these false teachers, will have been using to bring their false teaching. He uses this story. So the story of Abraham's sons. As I say, it would be familiar to many of the Jewish believers in Galatia and certainly to the, to the false teachers who have come in. 
So just to, to recap that story, God comes to Abraham, Genesis 12, and he promises to bless him. He says, I will make of you a great nation, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. He says to him, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you blessing, and the world will be transformed and changed through your offspring. But by the time we get to Genesis 15, just three chapters later, Abraham is, is in lament and anguish over the fact that he and his wife haven't, they've not had children. Where is the, where is the promise of God? Where is the promise of God on this thing? <coughs> and, he, and, he, it, and it looks like, Abraham says, it looks like there's just going to be this bloke, Eliezer, who's no re- relation to me, who's going to inherit everything that I own. And, and, and God's promise will not be fulfilled. But then God comes to him in that moment of, of anguish and says, This man, Eleazar, will not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And then he begins, he says to him that same chapter, number the stars if you can. Go on, count them. Look. This will be your offspring. So shall be your offspring. Through you. And so God lays down what he is intending to do. He says, I am going to work a miracle in your body and in the body of your wife to bring about life from a place that there could never be life. What was barren will give birth and what was born save sons of earth. That's what is going to happen. That's what God is laying out. But Abraham and Sarah, they have a bit of a wobble. If you know the story, they don't rely on God. Their faith begins to falter and they come up with a way to help God to fulfill his promises. In their own strength, Sarah gives Hagar, who is a handmaid, a woman in their household, to Abraham so that she can bear him a son. And in Genesis 16, we see this. Hagar bore Abraham a son and Abraham called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And so when Paul says here in Galatians 4, that we, we just, the passage we just read, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, that's what he means. He means that Ishmael himself is a living representation of Abraham's attempt to, do, to work things out for himself. I'm going I'm to do, do this my way. I'm going to try and make this happen for myself. I'm going to try and win the promises of God in my way, in my own strength. And so he, he is a product of Abraham's self-reliance. In his weakness, at that moment, Abraham did not rely on God to come through on his promises, but instead took it on himself to try and bring down, by his own human actions, the promises and the blessing of God. What happens then is after 14 years, a couple of chapters later, Genesis 17, God says again to Abraham that his wife Sarah will have a son. God's promise remains true despite Abraham's falterings. God comes again, your wife will bear a son. And we're told that Abraham falls on his face laughing. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael would live before you. He says, he puts Ishmael forward, he says, oh, that, oh, that you would take Ishmael, this, this one that I have produced by my own strength. 
Would you accept him? God says no. No. He rejects Abraham's best attempts to win the promises of God for himself. He, he rejects it and says, that is not what I'm doing. I am going to bring about life where there can be no life. And I'm not about to use your half efforts to bring about my promises. I'm going to do it my way, in my power, by my spirit. God says, no, Sarah, your wife, will bear a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant and for his offspring after him. It's called Genesis 17, 17, 19. God rejects what Abraham can produce on his own. And he rejects what we can produce on our own. Any attempt that we make to try and twist the arm of heaven to win favour for ourselves, God rejects, utterly rejects. No, I won't have that. The best that we can offer, we see, is filthy rags. So says Paul to the Romans. The very best that we can do, our best efforts to please God, it's like a soiled rag. No, but the righteousness of God is a gift to those who believe. <coughs> this sonship is a gift to those who believe. And we see Genesis 21, the Lord visits Sarah and as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised, and Sarah bought, um, bears Abraham's child, and Isaac is born. Not according to the flesh, to use this language in Galatians 4, not according to the flesh, not by natural means, but because of God's power and his spirit at work. And, and as a result of God working his promised miracle. And it is Isaac, not Ishmael, who receives the promises of God. And Abraham, we assume, learns his lesson. It is only, the only acceptable response to the promises of God is to trust in that promise and not to, uh, in works of the flesh as a way of trying to earn that promise for yourself. So Paul <coughs> takes this story and tells it that it can be interpreted, tells us that it can be interpreted allegorically, metaphorically. That is, there is more to be seen in this story than just the story itself. It's not to say it didn't happen, Paul's saying yes, it's a historical story, but behind it there's, there's another truth that's being revealed. And he wants to use this story particularly to show, to answer that question, well, who are the people of God? Who are the children of Abraham? Because Paul is saying here, by pointing to this story, he says, don't you know Abraham had two children? And so it's not being a child of Abraham that makes you one of the people of God. You're not a, you're not, you don't belong to the people of God because you're a child of Abraham. Because Abraham had two children and only one of them inherited. No, the, the, the defining thing that brings you into the people of God is not who your father is, but the promise that you inherit, the faith uh, that brings life. It is possible to be a child of Abraham in the flesh and not inherit the promises. Two sons, only one inheritance. You can look like a Jew, act like a Jew, eat like a Jew, even be a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, and not inherit the promises that were given to him. You inherit the promises that were given if you receive them in faith. That's what it means to be one of the people of God. 
receiving it in faith. And we see that that is fulfilled in Christ, in Jesus, in believing Jesus. And Paul says, Hagar, the, the slave woman who, who worked with Abraham to try and produce something that's going to be acceptable to God, she represents the covenant that was made at Sinai. Law. And Sarah represents the covenant that was given through Christ, faith. He says, one is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai, which is where the the law of Moses was given. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Paul points to the Jerusalem of his day and says, they're in slavery because they're still trying to work out their salvation by law. They're trying to earn the favour of God by obeying these commands. Hagar's son Ishmael is born according to the flesh. And the same thing happens without reliance on God. And the same thing happens when the law is first given. The people of God say, um, Exodus 24 verse 3, they say, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We'll do it. We'll do what you tell us. And we'll earn our way into your favour. And Paul's saying, That is slavery. That is slavery because you cannot earn God's favour. They didn't depend on God and neither were their hearts inclined towards him. Like Abraham and Hagar, they depended on their own resources. And Ishmael was born according to the flesh and the law because it was not accomplished by faith. And it only produced dead works that won nothing for them. And so neither Ishmael this child according to the flesh and all the works of the law, <coughs> or my, my attempts to, to win God's favour on my own, are accepted by God. Our very best falls short. And uh, uh, short, falls short of the plans that God has for us and the promises that he gives to his people. Because Ishmael wasn't accepted by God as an heir, he remained a slave. And so the same is true of those who, who try to earn God's favour on their own. Anybody who tries to earn God's favour by works, whatever they might be, makes themselves a slave. <coughs> and Paul is saying, do not do that. Do not do that. Everything in you, everything, is one of the great attacks of the enemy. He will try to guilt trip you or, or, or make you think that you've got to somehow earn your place here in this room. Or before God. He will do everything he can to make you believe that you are not good enough. You know what the answer is when that accusation comes? You're right. I'm not. But Christ is. He has done it. He has done it. I love reading my Bible. And I love praying. They are great joys to me. But I tell you, if I do those things without faith... Those things that are habits of grace, that are means by which I can enjoy God and and meet with him, they become chains. If they become just rules that I have to obey, I've got to wake up at a certain time and pray, and then I've got to read my Bible. If that's what it becomes, they become chains to me, and they don't serve me, and I make myself a slave because I'm trying to earn the favour of God by doing something, rather than enjoying him with these gifts that he's given us. told now 
but the Jerusalem that is above is free. She is our mother. As we went through our series in 1 Peter, we looked again and again at that, that, the, the kingdom that we belong to, the family that we belong to, that, that kingdom of God in heaven. We are residents of that, citizens of heaven, living on earth. This Jerusalem above is what Paul refers to as. She is free and she is our mother. And she is the one who, though barren, gives birth. Though looks like there's death here. How on earth can a 90-year-old woman give birth? God says, that's exactly how I'm going to bring life. I dead. Absolutely dead in my sin. Before God comes along and says, live. Live. That's the, that's the example that's given for, for becoming a Christian. Being born into this family. He's, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. But it was God who brought you to life. A dead man, no matter how much you try to persuade him, cannot make himself live. The same is true of a non-believer. We were dead in our sin, our trespasses. There was no way, there was no way we could have earned anything for ourselves. We can't earn the favour of God. It's God who comes and brings life through faith to make supernatural life. And so Paul goes on to say, if you've been born by the Spirit, if you've, if you've been brought alive by the Spirit, if you've been received faith because of the Spirit, live by the Spirit. Don't submit to slavery. Live <laughs> in the freedom of the spirit that you've been given. Having begun by the spirit, he says in Galatians 3 verse 3, will you now be perfected by the flesh? So that's the one of the arguments that comes. I've, I've received the gospel, now I graduate from the cross and I've got to move on from that now. Now that I've received the cross, I can go and learn how to be a really good Christian. Paul says, if what brought you to life was the Spirit, then it's going to be the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word that is going to transform you into making you more and more like Him. Not your efforts. Not laws that come in. And so that is how you become an heir of the promise. That is how you are justified by God. That is how you become a child of Abraham. is by faith. And by living by faith. Now, I'm going to finish the same way Paul does. Paul finishes his analogy by affirming that the Galatians are the children of promise. He says, uh, he says you are children of promise. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. I want to do the same. I want to say, we are children of promise. We are the promised people of God. Because we've received him by faith. And let us not let anybody try to rob us of it. Either by trying, trying to convince us that we somehow need to earn it for ourselves. Or letting ourselves be swayed by the attacks of the enemy that say, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. I know I'm not good enough. But he is. He is. This is an attack that the church will always face. One of the reasons why I love Galatians, as I say. It is so relevant, so relevant. The church will always be under this same attack of being of people, of whether from without or within. There will always be those who who are convinced or being convinced by themselves or by others that they're not good enough. They're not good enough for the gospel. What does Paul say? He says, 
just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh was persecuted, <coughs> bullied by those, by he who was born according to the uh, spirit. So, oh no, he, sorry, the wrong way around. Just as at that time those one who was born according to the flesh bullied the one who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Saying that, that Ishmael bullied Isaac because Ishmael didn't inherit. The same thing will happen here. There will be uh, those, even Satan himself, who will not inherit, who will do everything he can to, to persecute you, to try and shake you from the promises that you've been given. And the freedom of the people of God is under attack constantly, which is why Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He says, cast out the, cast out anything that would, he, using the story again, he says, cast out the slave woman and her son, because they will not inherit with the free woman. <coughs> cast out anything, anything that would attack you and tell you that, you're, that you, you've got to earn your way into the, the favour of God, that you've got to earn your way into the family of God. Anything that would tell you that that is true, get rid of it. Because only God can make you a ch- his child. And only God can make you right before him. And through Jesus, he has. 